0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Good Shepherd Church. If we've never met before, my name is Chris Thayer, and I'm our pastor of discipleship here at Good Shepherd. So excited to be here with you all this morning, whether you're joining us online or in person, ready to jump into the book of Daniel. If you have your Bibles with you, that's great. You can open them up to Daniel chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay. The words are going to be up on the screen at just the right time, and we go through that effort to ensure that you have an encounter with Scripture because we find it incredible incredibly important that you're able to engage with the Scriptures yourself. There's two things that we like to remind ourselves of every Sunday morning when we talk about the Bible. And the first one is this, even though this looks like a book, it's actually not a book. It's a library. It's a collection of 66 different books written by a number of different authors over a long period of time, and perhaps most importantly, in different writing styles. And when we're in the first half of the book of Daniel, we're in a section of the library that's devoted to ancient history, things that happened about 2,700 years ago. The other thing that we like to remind ourselves of every week, and and you might not believe this yet, and that's okay, we simply wanna let you know where we stand at Good Shepherd, and that's that we believe that unlike any other book or any other library in the world, that this one is uniquely inspired and eternal, and true. And so, whenever we read it together, we do this sort of odd thing where we lift it up, not because we worship the Bible, we don't, but we worship the God who inspired the Bible. And we want to show in a tangible way that we stand alone under His authority and nobody else's. The other thing that I want to do before I say anything else is I want to go before that very God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you that we can call you our Father. And Lord, this morning, I, I, just, I don't take that for granted. Thank you that, that you allow us to call you our Father. And Lord, I pray that you would wake us up to the presence of your Holy Spirit. I pray that we would be united with one another and united with you. Lord, I pray that everything that happens in this space would bring glory to the name of Jesus. I pray that you would fill me with you and that the words I say would not be my own, but that they would be from you, and Lord, I pray for every single one of us that whatever it is that you have to teach us this morning, that we, would, we wouldn't walk away forgetting what you've taught us, but instead we would walk away as, as changed people who have become more and more like your son, Jesus, who died on a cross for us, was buried in a tomb, and was resurrected on the third day, defeating sin and death. Help us to walk in that reality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I have been thinking a lot lately about what it means to age well. What does it mean to age well? Now, one of the reasons that I've been thinking about this, and I've had this conversation with several of you, is that I've been thinking about it because I'm fast approaching 40, and I'm realizing that my body's not (laughs) quite as spry (laughs) as it used to be. See, I knew this. I knew half of you in this room get it. The other half of you just rolled your eyes and said, you wait. You wait until the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years and things are going to get so much worse. You know what? Thank you so much for your encouragement. I really do appreciate it. So helpful. So helpful. So I've been thinking about that. And I've also been thinking about, because, thinking about aging well because my son is getting so close to middle school. We just took our kids shoe shopping and he's 10 years old. And he, he's wearing a size nine and a half men's shoe at 10 years old. And I'm seeing him fast approaching middle school. And I know that, that, that middle school was tough for me. And I know there's all kinds of things that he's gonna be needing to navigate. And so how can I be a good dad to my son and help him navigate that new reality that he's getting ready to walk into? What does it mean for me to age well as a father? And also my wife and I, we've, we've seen our parents in, in the last two years go through some really serious health issues. And so we've been watching as, as seeing how they've approached that and how they've been started to approach the later years of their life. And And so I've been thinking again, what does it mean to age well? And perhaps more than any of these reasons, I've been thinking about what does it mean to age well? Because I watched a man, a man who was one of my mentors in the faith, a man that I really looked up to, a man that I credit his teaching and books with the fact that I'm still a Christian to this day even though I never met him in real life, a, a man that, that, that just poured into my life because I was asking all kinds of questions and he had all kinds of great answers and great responses. I watched that man after he died be found out to be consistently unfaithful to his wife, unfaithful to his calling in the Lord and I watched the destruction that that brought about in its wake. And it hurt, it hurt bad to watch that happen. See, I, I actually walked down to Talbot's office when I found out and I, I said, Talbot, have you heard? And, and man, this one hurts because I, I really do. I really do believe that because of the ministry of this man, I remained a Christian through college because I did have some really tough questions that I was asking. He had great answers to these questions. And I said, man, this. This one hurts so bad. And I'll never forget what he said to me in that moment. He said, he said, Chris, you know, the the one thing that we can do, the one thing that we can do during times like this is remember the countless faithful who have gone before and have maintained the faith. The one thing that we can do is remember the countless that have gone before and have maintained the faith. And I went back to my office And I sat down in my chair and almost immediately, I thought of one of my good friends, Dave O'Brien. You see, Dave and his wife, Cheryl, joined my life group uh, a number of years ago, probably seven or eight years ago, and and they were retired missionaries from Kenya. I didn't know this at the time, but would find out over the next several years, retired missionaries from Kenya, and and Dave taught theology, and they poured into the life of the Kenyans uh, for decades that they were over there ministering, and they had retired, and they were coming back to the States, and and they got involved in Good Shepherd, and they were looking for community to get plugged into, and and even in those later years of his life, and, and he's still living and, and he's an amazing man, but, but even at that time in his life when he could have just taken it easy, he could have just coasted, he, he actually poured into me. He was willing to, to go out and, and have a cup of coffee and, and talk about ministry. And though some of you might recognize his face of either him or his wife, Cheryl O'Brien, what you probably don't know is that Dave was one of the most brilliant men who's ever been a part of Good Shepherd. Incredibly brilliant. We were studying the book of Romans in our life group, and I'll never forget, I learned so much about the book of Romans from Dave. But he, he never was up on the platform. He never taught a class. He just remained faithful. So faithful. You know, such an encouragement to me. And you know the kinds of people that I'm I'm talking about, don't you? You know the person that the older they've gotten, the more bitter they've become. And you've seen the filters start to break down in their life and no longer do they really care what people think about the things that come out of their mouth. And you're never really sure which person you're going to get when you chat with them. Or you've learned that there's a reason that there's a phrase dirty old men. Gosh, maybe even as I'm saying some of these things, you might realize that some of those filters that have been breaking down are, are inside of you. I, I know that I've realized this with myself lately. You see, i found myself getting more and more and more frustrated when, when my kids don't do exactly what I want, when I want, how I want, or when I don't get what I think is great customer service on the phone or in person or when, when people don't drive the way that they should or that I think they should. And, and if I'm brutally honest with myself, if I look at myself with sober judgment, I come to realize that, that I'm really a, a, a lot less bothered by what this other person is doing. It has a lot less to do with them than it, than it has to do with myself. My own insecurities, my own brokenness, my own sin. It's not a fancy word, but sometimes it's a reality in our lives. Or maybe you've seen the exact opposite of that right? Maybe you have a a, a grandmother that the older she got, the more she prayed for you. And that the reason you can call yourself a follower of Jesus today is because of her consistent faithfulness in your life. Or it's that couple that I know. That the older they get, the more they give away, the more they serve, the more they love people around them because they've realized more and more and more as they've gotten older that nothing that they have is from themselves. It's all God's anyway. So why not give it back to him? Why not help the people around them and bring glory to God? And as I step back from these kind of people, I wonder, what's the difference between them? How can one group of people be so out of step with a culture around them? that tells them to do what it is they want, when they want, how they want, and if you don't like it, then tough luck. And another group of people that, that gives in to their own desires so much that it brings so much death and destruction around them. What's the difference between these two groups of people? How can one life be ruled by sin and another life be ruled by holiness or following God's commands and and the good things that come out of that, even even when things aren't, aren't always easy, because I've seen Dave and Cheryl go through some really difficult times in life, and you know what I've seen their marriage do? Get more beautiful. And at a time in life when I could have been incredibly discouraged from that one person, I ended up being encouraged because I remembered their faithfulness. Their quiet faithfulness to God. What's the difference between these groups of people? And this, this is one of the reasons why I love the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel is incredible for so many reasons, but I love all of the stories and the way that they teach us something about how to live in light of what God has done for us and through us. You see, the book of Daniel was written at one of the most incredibly difficult and tumultuous times in all of Israel's history. It was probably the most significant thing that had ever happened to them and the most difficult, including modern history. You see, Israel was in what's called a a covenant or an agreement, a contract with God. And God said to the Israelite, if you obey my commands, kind of codified in the Ten Commandments, but included everything that God had told them to do, if you follow my commands, if you do what I have told you to do, then things are going to go great for you. Your your crops are going to produce all kinds of great fruit. You're not going to have any troubles. Foreign nations won't rule over you. Things will go well. But if you don't do what I tell you to, if you don't take care of the fatherless, the poor, and the widowed, if you have other gods before me, if you don't take care of the foreigner among you, then things won't go well. Things will get difficult. Your crops won't produce good fruit. You will be under the oppression of foreign nations and you will learn that having any other king besides me will bring hurt and heartache and pain. And for centuries, for centuries, Israel broke the covenant with God before we get to what happened in Daniel, which happened around 722 or a little bit before BC. For, for several hundred years before that, Israel was just on this downward spiral And they continued to disobey God. And God sent prophet after prophet after prophet to the Israelites saying, turn around, do something different, follow my commands, please, because you're not gonna like it if you don't. And eventually God said, okay, I'll give you the desires of your heart and you will be ruled by somebody other than me. And at that time and at that day and age, it was the superpower of the day, Babylon, because, you see, Israel was an incredibly strategic piece of land that, that these foreign empires wanted to have control over. And so Babylon would eventually come into Jerusalem, the capital city of the, of the southern kingdom of Israel at this time. Babylon would come in and eventually they would completely demolish the city. They would destroy the temple to God. And it would come to define the Israelites' lives for for thousands of years afterward. But before that, as brutal and as, as swift in destruction as Babylon was, they were also incredibly brilliant. They were incredibly brilliant at building their empire because they knew, they knew that as they expanded their empire, they needed to have people who were smart enough to help them rule all of their new territory, because otherwise it was going to be incredibly difficult to rule this vast empire. And so what Babylon would do before they came in and destroyed a city is they would take the best and the brightest out of that city and they would teach them Babylonian culture and then they would put them to work in the king's service. They would put them to work in government. It's incredibly brilliant because they would train them in Babylonian culture so they could be a bridge between Babylon and the culture that they already knew. And when we step into Daniel chapter 1, we find out that this is exactly what's going on. You see, let's read in Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and Judah another name for the southern kingdom of Israel at that time, In the reign of King Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing every aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. Now we can pause here for just one second. I love the library that we call the Bible because when we read it, there's moments of hilarity. See, See, this is a book written by Daniel, a person who was taken out of Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, and Daniel just happens to throw in there that he's looking for young men without any physical defect who are handsome. (laughs) Daniel throws a humble brag right at the very beginning in the book that he's writing. Handsome guy Daniel was taken into Babylon. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. And we'll talk about that in just a minute. They were to be trained for three years. And after that, they were to enter into the king's service. So among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names to Daniel, the name Belshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. All kinds of funny names and difficult names to say in that passage of scripture. But one of the things that's crazy is I cannot imagine what this would be like at my age being taken out of my hometown, being taken out of my own country, placed inside of another one, being forced to learn their culture, and then be inside of the government, the very government that's getting ready to destroy my hometown. And this was an incredibly difficult time for Israel. The closest way that I could imagine to describe it would be if, if ISIS took over the United States, destroyed the White House and the Capitol building. And then took some of our kids and said, hey, we're taking you back and we're going to train you in our culture so that you can help us rule over the United States. Hard to imagine anything like that happening. For me, much less at Daniel and his three friends age. You see, when it says young men there, what it means is somewhere between the ages of about 13 and 17 years old. So they were taken out at incredibly young age. And we wonder, when we step back, is is Daniel going to remain out of step with Babylonian culture or will will he be in step with it? Because it'd be so much easier for him to just simply give in to Babylonian culture to say, hey, you know what, I, I'm, I'm gonna be here. Jeremiah, the prophet, before a uh, book that's right before Daniel, he, he actually told the Israelites, you're gonna be in captivity for 70 years. So Daniel, this teenager, knows that he's probably gonna be in Babylon until he's at least 83 to 84, 85, 87 years old. I'm gonna be here for a while. Maybe I should make things go well for me by just kind of falling in line. But at the same time, he had also heard prophet after prophet tell the people of Israel, the reason that we're in this mess to begin with is because we wanted to be our own rulers rather than allowing God to rule over us. We wanted to define our lives by something other than God's commands. So what's Daniel going to do? And we end up finding out in Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel but the official told Daniel I'm afraid of my lord the king who assigned your food and drink why should he see you looking worse than any of the other young men your age the king would have my head because of you so he's, the, the, the official saying to Daniel look I, i've got to give you this food because the king's telling me that I need to make sure you're taken care of. And my, I'll lose my head if I don't. And Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, because it wasn't hard enough to say that twice already, <laughs> please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who, who have eaten the royal food. And treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard who took away their choice so the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. Now this story sounds really weird to our ears. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. What in the world is going on? Now, Now, sometimes in church circles, when this passage of Scripture gets talked about, and if you've never heard this before, that's okay. I'm just letting you in on a little bit of an inside conversation that can happen in churches sometimes. Sometimes when people talk about this passage of Scripture, they talk about something called a Daniel fast. This idea that there's a, a way to fast for health reasons or maybe for spiritual reasons that, that, uh, are, um, that mean you only eat vegetables for 10 days and drink water. And that's it. Now, I'm no doctor. That might be a great thing to do. That might not be. But that's not at all what's going on in this passage of Scripture. You see, Daniel knew exactly what was going on when the king offered him food from his table. You see, in the ancient world at this time, when the king would give you food from his table, that was the king's way of saying, I'm the one who's taking care of you. And therefore, you owe me your allegiance. I'm giving you food from my own table so that you will be loyal to me above all else. Loyal to me above all else. Now Daniel, Daniel knew that this was not what God had called him to live. This wasn't part of the covenant that the Israelites agreed to. They agreed to have nobody, nobody, above God. And so if Daniel agreed to this kind of loyalty, then he would be breaking the covenant with God. And I love what Daniel does. He says, no. He says, no, I'm I'm not going to have you as my Lord, but I'm going to have the Lord of Lords as my Lord. You're not going to be my king, but the king of kings will be my king. You see, Daniel was faced with a choice of defining his life by either the Babylonian king or by God. And he saw firsthand what defining his life by anything other than God brought. He knew that it brought death and destruction and heartache and pain, and he was gonna have to live that for the next 70 years at least. And then w- when I think about the book of Daniel, I, I, I love this because as, as, as I've been thinking about aging well, I realize that inside of Daniel, we have a, a picture of somebody who we have stories from their lives for 70 years. And one of the last things that happened in Daniel's life where we kind of see all of this played out is is Daniel, Daniel had gotten a high position inside of the government of Babylon while remaining faithful to God because God showed his power through Daniel. And, and Daniel made a lot of really good friends in really high places and, and didn't compromise. And 70 years later, 70 years later, Daniel's still in a high position in the Babylonian government. He's still in the king's service, but now the the Babylonian empire was starting to fail and new kings were coming into place. And now he's in the service of a king named King Darius. And King Darius really liked Daniel. He gave him a high position inside of his government. and, And Daniel's peers, they didn't like it. They were jealous. They were incredibly jealous of Daniel. And so they went to King Darius and they said, King Darius, you live forever. May you live forever. We we have a great idea. We would like you to issue a decree that anybody who prays to anybody other than you over the next several days will be thrown into a den of hungry lions. And King Darius, being kind of prone to this kind of puffery, (laughs) said, that's a great idea, guys. Let's do it. So he issued the decree. And again... Now that we're 70 years later, we wonder, did Daniel age well or did he age poorly? And we find out in Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before, just as he had done before. Now, if you want to find out what happens to Daniel and the whole den of lions, you got to come back for week five. (laughs) But I love how we see in Daniel chapter six, a pattern that started all the way in Daniel chapter one. You see, Daniel decided when he was young, he decided early on that I'm not going to allow you, king of Babylon, I'm not gonna allow my, allow my own desire for comfort, the things that I want, that's not going to define me. The one who will define me is, is God. And at the end of his life, rather than having a life that brought about all kinds of death and all kinds of destruction, rather than a life that was then given into sin, he had a life that was consistently faithful just as it had always been. He went up into his upper room and he prayed just as he had always done. You see, Daniel started a pattern in his life. He knew that what defined him today would rule him tomorrow. And, and when I step back from this, I can't, can't help but realize that for all of us. Whoever defines your today will rule your tomorrow. Whoever defines your today will rule your tomorrow. You see, that's the difference. That's really the difference between the two men that I talked about earlier. The first person, and and I don't know where it happened in his life, but somewhere in his life, he decided that his own pursuit of pleasure was going to define his life. And that same pursuit of pleasure ruled his life at the end of his life and brought about destruction to him, his family, his friends, even people like me. And so oftentimes when people think about the reality of sin and brokenness, so so many times, we think the big things happen all at once that somehow or another, our marriage ended up in divorce just, just overnight. I don't know what happened, but two weeks ago, it went from being beautiful to being terrible. That's not at all how sin works. That's not at all how sin works. You see, sin works like an acid slowly eating away at our hearts and minds. And what really happens is that one day, you decide to pursue your own desires, your own needs. You decide to look, go, look after yourself more than you look after your spouse and you take a small step. And then you, the next day you take another small step and then another small step and then two, three, four, five years down the road you turn around and you wonder what happened? Why don't I have a beautiful marriage anymore? Well, it happened because you changed who defined your life over here. Whoever defines your life today will rule your life tomorrow. And then with Dave, somewhere early on, Dave decided, hey, you know what? God's going to define my life. And and even though I'm retired from being a Kenyan missionary and I've taught theology for tens of years and done all kinds of great things, you know what? That guy right there, I'm going to pour into his life. I'm going to take him out for coffee and I'm going to encourage him in the ministry. And you know what? That small step that he started taking sometime when he was young all of a sudden started paying dividends in my life when I could have been incredibly discouraged by somebody else's failing. Instead, I end up being encouraged by the fact that God was ruling his life even in the difficult times. Whoever defines your life today will rule your life tomorrow. So I've got to ask you a question. Where, where is it for you? Where is it that, that God's not defining your today? Whether you're eight or 80, where is it that right now you've, you've seen, hey, I, I've started to take a small step in that wrong direction, and I don't want to turn around and look back and see all of the wake of destruction that it's brought about. Instead, I want to be ruled by God, a God who is incredibly other-centered and loves me and wants what's best for me, because I don't want sin to be my slave master. I want God to be my benevolent ruler. Whoever defines your life today will, will rule your life tomorrow. And, and just a, a couple of practical tips. The, the first one is, is if, you, if you know what it is right now, then, then great. Hang on to that for just a second. But if you're not sure, if you're not sure, hey, I'm not sure really where it is that I've started to take those steps, that I've allowed my own desire for pleasure or something else to to define my life, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I encourage you to pray and just simply ask God, where is it that you're not defining my life and I'm defining it with something else? And, And I'm convinced that God will show you something And God wants you to see that the life that's brought about when you follow his direction for you rather than your own. And maybe, just maybe, you'll see the beauty of Jesus and accept him as your savior. And when you do find out whatever that thing is, don't don't keep it to yourself. We were never meant to to white-knuckle things through life on our own. Instead, we were called to be a part of a community we were called to community. Our faith is absolutely personal, but it's not private. So, so share whatever that is with, with somebody. Maybe it's whoever brought you to church today. Maybe it's somebody that's sitting at home with you now, a good friend that you have in the Lord. Whoever it is, share that thing with them and allow them into that part of your life. Allow them to challenge you, encourage you and to allow them to be God's agent of change in your life. Whoever rules your today, whoever defines your today, will rule your tomorrow. And I love how I get to end this message today because I'm going to go ahead and invite Matthew and our m students to go ahead and come forward. You see, we have a group of uh, students who are living out this reality, the same age as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, And in the same way that those four young men knew that God needed to define their life then, this group up here behind me recognizes that God needs to define their life today as well, because they want him to rule their tomorrow. So this group of students behind me is getting ready to go to Greenville. Yes. Awesome. They're getting ready to go to Greenville and they're going to do some uh, evangelism with kids. And so we're gonna pray a couple of things. We're gonna pray that the same God who is defining their life today will rule their tomorrow. And we're also gonna pray for incredible fruitfulness for their ministry in Greenville. So would you all do me a favor? Would you all point your palms towards this great group of students? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today. Thank you for this great group of students, Lord. And thank you that they have decided that you will define their today. And God, we do pray that you would show yourself incredibly faithful to them and that you would rule their tomorrow. Lord, we pray for fruitfulness for their ministry. Lord, we pray that that an innumerable amount of children would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior through their ministry. And that those little kids would be able to look at the life of these teenagers here today in 80 years from now. And when they're threatened with being discouraged in their faith, that they would remember their lives and that they would be encouraged instead. God, you are good and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.